And this morning, as we worship the Lord in His Word, I would invite you to again go with me back to Matthew chapter 28 while we continue to move toward the end of the Gospel of Matthew, particularly in reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our early resurrection celebration service this morning. I began at the beginning of chapter 28 and and attempted to walk the congregation this morning through the chronological resurrection appearances and, and there there are quite a few and, and the different gospel perspectives and and the appearances of Christ uh, as uh, Acts chapter 1 tells us you know there's about 40 day span after Jesus's resurrection from the grave until his ascension into heaven where he appears over and over uh, Paul says in first Corinthians uh, 15 that that it was to as many as 500 people in addition to the disciples and 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 the women that Jesus revealed himself to and given substantial evidence to the fact of his resurrection and so now we are I kept mentioning to the uh, group this morning that the angels told the women that came to the tomb and announced that Jesus had been risen and instructed them to go back and tell the disciples that they were to meet Jesus in Galilee. In fact, in chapter 28, if you want to just look back at verse 9, and uh, you'll see it says, As they went to tell His disciples, behold, Jesus met them and said, Rejoice, and they came and held Him by the feet and worshipped Him. Then Jesus said to them, uh, Do not be afraid. Go and tell My brethren, speaking of His, his eleven disciples, My brethren, to go to Galilee, and there they will see Me. And so there's instruction that Jesus is going to meet with them. Uh, there's going to be a larger gathering in Galilee before Jesus ascends into heaven. And so as we begin to look at verse 16, here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, uh, verse 16, I, I want you to understand that by the time this has happened, Jesus has appeared a number of times to His disciples, um, and and now He's uh, meeting with the group that has gathered there on this hillside in Galilee. And uh, it's not just the eleven. By the time the, the women have gotten back into the region of Galilee and spread the word, Jesus is going to meet with us. Jesus is going to meet with us. And so here He is in His resurrected, glorified body there before this gathering of disciples of course, the eleven disciples, but scholars would help us to believe that, nor to know that there were many more. And so, as we focus upon the resurrected Christ this morning, and as we look at this portion of God's Word, there are certain elements of, about this portion of God's Word. So, oftentimes, we look at this very final passage of Scripture that concludes the Gospel of Matthew, and we call it the Great Commission. And it is, because God, through Christ, commissions disciples to go and to, to make disciples. But I want to challenge each and every one of us this morning, three points related to this resurrected Savior. First of all, consider Jesus, who is the Christ. What does He mean to you? Now, many know about Him. They're in the region of Galilee. 
There were many who knew about Jesus of Nazareth. In the earlier portions of the Gospel of Matthew, you may recall as I was preaching through those sections, it talked about that Jesus worked many miracles. He fed as many as 5,000 people. And that was just men at one time, not to count the women and children. Jesus had healed many people of many sicknesses from leprosy to, to being lame, to be able to walk. Those who were blind, able to see. Those who were deaf and dumb, to be able to speak, to hear. Uh, he cast out demons. Oh, listen, there were many people that knew about Jesus. They had experienced Him at some level. And some of those were probably gathered there that day. But look with me in chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And I want you to understand that even those that were there that day and those that worshipped Him, there were still some who had doubt. You're probably thinking, how in the world is that possible? That anybody, after seeing Jesus having been crucified, buried in the grave three days, and now is standing before them, and yet there's still an element of doubt. And you know, I think it's important because it says something about the integrity of the Word of God. Because if God's Word were just some polished renditions of writings that were trying to sway people towards a religious belief, don't you think He would have left out elements like that? But you know, that's true to the life of, of believers. You may recall earlier, John the Baptist, the great proclaimer, the forerunner of Christ, and yet and when he was arrested and imprisoned by Herod, he had some doubts that he had to work through. And you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, in, you know, there are circumstances may come into your life that may cause doubt to be there. But don't let that doubt be there simply because you really don't know Him. I want to make a distinction this morning in knowing about Jesus and knowing Him. Jesus warned about this superficial knowledge of Him. In fact, if you want to hold your place there and look back in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, you may recall this, He was teaching in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 21. And He talked about those who know about Him. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, He says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of My Father in heaven. Many will say to Me in that day, that is the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Someone aptly pointed out that the distance between heaven and hell is about 18 inches. The, difference, the distance between your head and your heart. You say you can have a lot of head knowledge about Jesus. You can give affirmation to saying, Oh yes, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe that He was, you know, what the Bible says He was. You can have all the facts in the world about Jesus, but if you've never by faith truly accepted Him by faith into your heart and made Him your Lord and Savior, you're living life without Jesus. 
And you may be, you, you'll be running the risk of being one of those persons at judgment that he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Christianity, I tell people over and over, is not a religion. It's a relationship. It is a personal relationship with the God of the universe through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. You can have great facts about Jesus in your head, but make sure that by faith you have accepted Him into your heart. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, there were many in that day that knew about Jesus. But when the chips were down, such as in Jerusalem, after the, the triumphal entry, and, and so many were singing and praising the Lord as He came into Jerusalem, Hosanna, Hosanna. Oh, they knew about Jesus. They were acquainted with Him. They had lots of knowledge in their head about Him, but He was absent in their heart when it came to the day when Jesus stood trial before Pilate. And many of those same people joined into the chants and it deserted and turned their backs on Jesus because they knew about Him, but they did not know Him as Lord and Savior and could easily be persuaded to join into chanting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Those who truly know Jesus worship Him and follow Him. And today, genuine followers of Christ eagerly worship the Lord. They eagerly serve Him because by faith we know that He's not just a religious figure. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the wonderful King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Savior who came and died on the cross, who paid the price for our sins, and He is the very One who was raised bodily from the grave on Easter Sunday morning. And it's only by the grace of God that we have that faith to believe in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you can resoundingly, confidently say, oh yes, I know the Lord. Jesus is indeed my Savior. He lives in my heart. He is my Master. He is my Lord. I know not only has He saved me, but He directs the path of my life. For anyone here this morning that does not have that assurance, I want to encourage you, you can the Bible tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever truly believes upon Him receives Him into their life, into their life as their Savior and as the Lord. The Bible says you can have eternal life. I've been praying for you. All through the time of preparing for this message in anticipation of this day, I've been praying, Lord, if there's anyone here in this sanctuary today that simply has a head knowledge of Jesus, but does not truly make Him the Lord of their life, and He's not sitting, and Lord, you're not sitting on the, on the throne of their heart, and they're not engaged in truly following you, Lord, I pray that on this Easter Sunday morning in this worship service, you will speak to those individuals' hearts, and they will come to transfer head knowledge into a heart belief and receive you as their Lord and Savior. Consider this Jesus today.
The one who the scripture says was raised from the grave on the third day. Who is he to you? If ever there's a time to be honest and straight with yourself, this is the time. Do you truly know Him? Do you have a personal, daily relationship with Him? Listen, this is a decision that is too big to put off. It's too big to, to, to just wonder about, not be sure about. Your eternal destiny rests on whether you can truly say, I know Him personally because He lives in my heart. That's what we were singing about. Christianity is not a whimsical, emotional Flippant kind of a decision that you just kind of associate with. Let me tell you something. Not only should you consider the person of Christ Jesus, but I want to, I want to challenge you this morning on this Easter Sunday morning to count the cost of discipleship. Listen to what Jesus is saying here to these who have gathered there on that mountain. Jesus realizes His time in their midst is limited. He'll be ascending into heaven soon. He, in verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Count the cost of discipleship. Because let me tell you something, being a, disciple, being a follower, follower of Christ does involve cost. I think about the young, vibrant, dynamic missionary Jim Elliott back in the late 50s, who along with four of his missionary friends lost their lives when they were brutally killed by the very Alka Indians that they went to share the good news of the Gospel with. Listen to these words extracted from Jim Elliott's diary, not long recorded in his diary before he lost his life. Listen to what he said about the cost. He says, It is no fool who loses what he cannot gain. It is a fool who loses what he cannot keep, excuse me, to gain what he cannot lose. It is a fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There are costs associated with being a follower of Jesus Christ. Friday night in our secret church gathering during those intense, and I mean intense hours, Pastor David Platt is walking us through scriptures and, and, and Christian principles and, 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 and he's making it abundantly clear that this is serious business choosing to walk after Jesus Christ. It's not something to be taken lightly. And he pointed out that there are many thousands of Christians around the world in other countries where they're being persecuted because of their faith. And many of them are paying a great price because they have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Count the cost. The cost in terms of personal sacrifice. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16. You may recall when... Jesus was teaching with His disciples. Let me take you back there. And He confronted His disciples. 
In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. But what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with the angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. Listen, Jesus made it clear that when it comes to following Him, there are indeed personal sacrifices that you and I will need to make. First of all, you need to do, we must deny ourselves. Following Christ involves self-denial. And, and that's not an easy thing for, for those of us living in this 21st century Western culture where everything is about us and about our pleasure and our comfort. Listen, Christianity is not about feeling good. It's not a self-centered life. It's a God-centered life. It's not about what makes us feel good. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our pleasure. It's all about God's glory. And choosing to be a follower of Christ means being willing to be self-denying, but also sacrificial. Being able to sacrifice. When Jesus says, "Not take up your," he says, "to deny yourself and take up your cross." The cross is a symbol of sacrifice. Being willing to sacrifice personally, giving a personal time, giving a personal finances, even sometimes costing relationships to advance the kingdom of God and to bring glory to Him. Does any of that describe your personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ today? But not only that, when you consider the cost of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, it's a, time, it's a commitment. It's a time of personal commitment. It involves personal commitment to be daily obedient to the Lord, following Him. When you get up in the morning, one of the first things you do is check in with the Lord as a follower of Christ. It's not about what your agenda is, what you want to accomplish. It's about following Him and seeking His will through Bible study, through prayer, understanding the will of God, and then doing and humbly yielding ourselves to His will. Back in Luke's Gospel chapter 9, when several were coming out of the multitude to say to Jesus, I'll follow you, I'll follow you, Lord. And yet each one of them had some kind of excuse why they couldn't follow through on their commitments. You may recall what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. He says, anyone having put his hand to the plow, in other words, made a commitment to follow Me, and then looking back, looking back to self and looking back to sinful pleasures and, and, and others, Jesus said, anyone having put his hand to the plow and looking back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. In other words, choosing our will over God's will. Following Christ is a daily decision to seek after and follow the will of God, not our own will. Humbly yielding ourselves. You say, well, I don't know if I know what God's will. Ladies and gentlemen, newsflash, the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians in chapter 2, verse 13, it is God who reveals to us and shows us His will and gives us the desire to do His will. And the way we come to know God's will is being in the Word of God. Reading the Word of God. Understanding the mind of Christ and allowing the Spirit of God to reveal to us that which is the will of God and making a personal commitment to follow His will. Following after Christ involves cost. Cost of sacrifices. Cost 
of commitments, cost of personal transformation. What does it mean to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I like Dr. Avery Willis, and those of you that have gone through Master Life remember Dr. Avery Willis as the author of that. He said, Christian discipleship is the process of developing a lifelong, obedient, personal relationship with Jesus Christ in which Christ transforms our character into Christ-likeness and He changes our values into kingdom values. And He involves us in His mission in the home, in the church, and in the world. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a genuine believer, a genuine Christian. Diligently learning and teaching the Word of God. Look back in Matthew chapter 28 as Jesus is given what we often call the Great Commission. He says, Go therefore, verse 19, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Jesus didn't tell His disciples simply to go make converts. He didn't say, go out there and just tell a story and ask people to raise their hand or have somebody sign a card or have a, have a, a service where if people feel good emotionally and then they walk an aisle and then that's it and they're, they're in. It's about sacrifice. It's about commitment. It's about knowing the will of God. It's about growing in Christ on a regular basis. That's why Jesus says, you baptize them as a public declaration that they are truly a follower who have made a commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And then He says, you teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Teach them and you teach them and you teach them until they begin to grow and to develop as disciples. And that's the whole process of being a follower of Christ and being called a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 verse 4, He says, The pupil is not greater than the teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully equipped, will become like the teacher. One of the quickest ways that you can tell that you're an authentic follower of the, G- of the Lord Jesus Christ is, are, am, you ask yourself, am I becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? Do I show the characteristics and qualities of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with each and, and, and every passing day? Because the more that you study the Word of God, the more that you ingrain and internalize the principles, the life-given principles of what it means to be a follower of Christ, yes, indeed, you and I become more and more and more like Jesus. God, forgive us in America for shamefully turning the church into a virtual religious country club or passing Christianity off as something as meaningless as simply a dating service or or a book club or something like that. Christian discipleship is about worshiping God. Christian discipleship is about serving the church in the church. Christian discipleship is about being actively involved in missions in the community and around the world. And it's about growing in Christ-likeness through Bible study and prayer and becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord is saying. 
There on that hillside, prior to His ascension, when He's given the Great Commission, He's not saying, don't you just go out there and make converts. You go make disciples. You go out there and find people that have been given the gift of faith to believe upon Me as the Lord and Savior and who are willing to make a commitment to daily follow Me and become like Me and they will become more and more and more like Me and sooner or later, they too will begin to start looking for people who are out there searching for Christ And the process goes on and on. Disciples grow and soon become disciple makers. That's what the church is about. I hate to break your heart, brothers and sisters, but church is a whole lot more than fellowship meals and good singings and and, and times of patting each other on the back and saying, Hey, how are you doing? The church is the equipping center of the followers of Christ. And if we as a body of Christ are not turning out people who are demonstrating this kind of commitment to follow Christ and to become like Him, then God help us, we've missed the mark. And if you're not doing that in your personal life, if I'm not doing it in my personal life, then something is amiss. I take you back to the very first point. Consider this man. This risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Who is He to you? Do you truly know Him? Does He live in your heart? And do you have a daily personal relationship with Him? Or do you simply have head knowledge about Him? Consider the Savior, Jesus Christ. Count the cost of what it means to follow Him. But praise God, this is what Easter is about. Come home. Come home to God. That is the ultimate reigning goal of what it means. Is that through Jesus Christ we find our way home. My address says I'm down here in Wahlberg, not far away. (laughs) That's just where I hang my clothes and lay my head. Listen, that's a nice place, but that ain't my home. Pardon English, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just passing through. My home is a place that my Savior, Lord Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has said He's preparing for me there in, in heaven in the presence of God and all the angels. Listen, that's my home. You know, a lot of times talk about my little GPS lady. I have one of them little GPS devices, and I don't use it often, just when I'm lost. <laughs> but you know, I'm going to tell you something. She gets, she gets on my nerves every once in a while, you know, because I'll make a wrong turn, and she's always saying, recalculating, recalculating. And I says, I know, I know, I know. And then I make a turn, and she's recalculating, recalculating. But I'll tell you something, I love my little GPS lady when I'm in downtown in a city that I can't tell you which direction I'm supposed to go, east, west, or north. I don't have any sense of direction. I'm just as lost as I can be. I pull out that little GPS device there, and there's a button that just just is, is candy to my eye. It says, home. 
Because it's already programmed in there. I don't care where I am in the world. All I got to do is plug GPS lady in and I hit that button says home and she knows where I am and she knows exactly where home is and she takes me and listen, I'm going to tell you something. Whatever she says, Charlie Martin does. She says turn left, I turn left. She says turn right, I turn right. Listen, I don't care if it's into the back of a dimsty dumpster. It's GPS lady says, because she's taking me home. And the good news is when Jesus is more than just somebody who is head knowledge to you and you have a genuine personal relationship with Him by faith and you walk with Him and you talk with Him and you live daily to please Him and to serve Him. Let me tell you something. The wonderful good news about the resurrection of this Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus is our way home to heaven. Praise the Lord! You know, back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, where Jesus was talking there in verse 13, He says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go on it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And I'd say, that leads home. And there are few who find it. Jesus says you be careful. Listen, there are a lot of people who are following on the broad road of religion. Oh, they all got some idea that they're on the way home to God. I got good, I got bad news for them. They're not even headed towards God. They're headed away from Him. It's a broad way. It's easy to go that way. Just go through a few rituals and go through for hoops and, you know, just do what feels good. And, 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 you know, you've got many people with you. There are many on that road, but they're not headed home. They're headed towards hell. There's a narrow road. There's a narrow gate. And there's only one way home. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes home. No one comes to God but by Me. I make no apologies for that because I didn't come up with that. Jesus Christ said that Himself. And it was His sacrificial death that broke down sin's barriers for centuries now. Ladies and gentlemen, since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, sin was a barrier to keep saints from going home, to keep souls from going home. Anybody that wanted to go home to be with God couldn't go to be with God because there was a big, ugly barrier there called sin. But praise the Lord on the cross 2,000 years ago. We celebrated on Good Friday when Jesus Christ Himself gave the, the paid the price, the ultimate price for your sins and my sins sins and His precious sinless blood was shed for us. And He looked up and He says, it is finished. Listen, let me tell you something. The barrier of sin was broken down. Jesus had broken down the barrier that sin had constructed. This past, well, just this couple days ago, Friday, I went up home to visit with my dad just a little bit. I'd like to get up there every once in a while, chill and spend a little time. And, and I, I did. And as I was leaving Big City, Roxborough, and as I customarily do, I'll stop by the nursing home and visit with my very youthful 96-year-old Uncle Huel. You've heard me talk about Uncle Huel. He's about my stature, small, humble, soft-spoken guy, but you're talking about a giant in the faith who loves the Lord. And he and I were sitting there in the dining room because they just finished up a little Easter celebration. There's a few other residents in there, and we just are talking and fellowshipping. And I just glanced at my watch. It was about ten to three, quarter to three. And I said, Uncle Hill, I says, you, I says, you know what? Two thousand years ago, today, right about now, Uncle Hill, 
I said, Jesus was hanging on the cross and He looked up towards heaven and He says, it is finished. And then over here, you know what else He said? He said, Father, into Your hands I commend My Spirit. I said, okay, you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the price for your sins and my sins. He said, I know it, son, I know it. He said to the nurse, Shirley, come over here. I knew what He's up to. Go get that hymnal. Walking Hill loves to sing the old hymns of faith. Man, both of us with tears in our eyes, we began to sing at Calvary. We began to sing uh, at the old rugged cross. We began to sing Amazing Grace. Let me tell you something. We had church in that old nursing home that day. Other people, the nurse joined in and singing with us. Listen, when you stop and consider what it all means, listen, Jesus came to take us home. Just as He sacrificially gave His life to break down the barriers of sin. Let me tell you something. His bodily resurrection paved the way. As we were reading earlier, they were there in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. The Apostle Paul made this observation in chapter 15. He says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Praise the Lord. Paul goes on to say later in that same chapter, he says, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass this saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is law. But thanks, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ, if He is more than just head knowledge to you, He lives in your heart. He's your Savior and your Lord. He has already pointed the way home. He's already made the way home. He's already paved the way home. Listen to heaven to be in the presence of God. But let me tell you something, it ain't all over yet. It's not over. There's more. Because as we go back to that Matthew chapter 28, listen, I didn't, I didn't focus on this because I want to share it with you now. Listen to what Jesus said right there at the end of verse 20. Matthew 28, verse 20. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says. He says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Translated, Jesus said, Till the last day you're on this earth, all the way I will be with you, and then I will take you even from there. Jesus not only has made the way possible for us to go home, but He promised us He's going to go with us every step of the way. I know when those terrifying days struck 9-11, the terrorist attacks upon our nation, paralyzing our country. You recall, I'm sure, all those vivid scenes, but you may recall our President Bush, George W. Bush was down, I believe, in Florida in the elementary school reading to some children and got the word about the terrorist attacks on our country. You may recall how very swiftly they escorted him out of there as soon as possible. And I guarantee you at neck-breaking speed, they raced him across town, had him at the Air Force. Air Force uh, One, the President's presidential jet, was fired up. That thing was cocked and ready to go. Listen, as soon as they could shuttle our President on board, they got that thing thundering down the runway. And while planes were being grounded all across this nation, there was one bird that was flying. They made sure that our President was up in the air. They made sure nobody knew what to 
his flight pattern was, his path, but ultimately he was making his way home. But I guarantee you one thing, he didn't fly alone. I bet you on one side of him and on another side of him were some of the best trained F-16 or F-18 fighter jet pilots with jet fighters armed to the hilt. And when our president looked to the right, he or to the left, he saw a fighter jet. When he looked to the right, he saw a fighter jet. In the presence of those very best of the Air Force in those cockpits of those fighter jets, the very presence said to the president, Don't you worry, Mr. President. We are with you all the way home. And here the Son of God, the King of glory, the Lord of lords, has told you and me, listen, I have pointed the way home. You know now the way home. And here's the good news. I am going to go with you every step of the way. He gives us His presence. He promised us in John 14, 6. He told His disciples, I will pray to the Father and He will send another Helper. That's the Holy Spirit that He might abide with you forever. Every day of your life. I don't know. I don't care how absolutely horrendous and, and heartbreaking and tragic or frustrating it can be, but I promise you this. Listen, if you know you're headed home because of your faith in Jesus Christ, I promise you this. He is with you. And He will see you through this life. He will see you all the way home because He has given us His presence. He has given us His promise. Isn't it wonderful how Matthew starts out? Some of y'all can't remember when I first started this series. I had to scratch my head and wonder. I went back and looked. It was about January of 2010 when I preached Matthew chapter 1. Isn't it interesting how we started out, Matthew was talking about the presence of the Lord. When Joseph was contemplating what to do about Mary being pregnant, and the angel came and said, Joseph, don't worry about it. This one that she's carrying is the Son of God. His name, according to Isaiah, His name is Emmanuel. God with you. This is the great news of Christmas. God is with us. He came in the form of a baby to be present with us. And just as Jesus is getting ready to depart this earth, He's telling us the same thing. I am with you. I will always be with you. And you can guarantee He will see you all the way home. I ask you, this Jesus Christ whom we celebrate today on this Resurrection Sunday, who is He to you? Is He just head knowledge? Or do you know His Spirit lives within your heart and that you have a personal abiding faith relationship with Him? And one day when you stand before Him in judgment, and the Bible says in Hebrew 9.27, it is appointed to man to die once, and then after that the judgment, you and I will stand before Him. Will you stand before Him as your Lord and as your Savior? Or will He say to you, depart from Me, I never knew you. His name is Jesus. Do you know Him? I've asked the production team to close the message with a brief video that just spoke to my heart that speaks to the point of this message. And I think it will enhance what God may be wanting you to know about our Savior Jesus Christ. And 